Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to bring honor and glory to you. You are worthy of our praise. Father, I pray that we would understand what it means to truly hallow your name in the way that we live our lives, the way that we lead our lives. Father, I pray for the different requests that are represented here across our congregation. Lord, the ones that maybe their marriage right now is struggling and they're just hurting because of it. And I pray, Father, that you'd be very near them. The one that, Lord, has dealing with health issues and maybe got that dreaded diagnosis or maybe is just feeling so discouraged. And I pray, Father, that you'd be very near them and help them today. Lord, those that are dealing with addictions and can't seem to overcome the addiction that they're struggling with, that it's got a hold of their lives, I pray, Father, that you would set them free. Father, help us to bring honor and glory to you. For this service now, for this time, the remaining time that we have together, Father, we pray for your spirit to move among us, to speak powerfully to us, give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to understand what you're doing. We thank you, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. This morning we have, uh, we'll get to the message here in just a few minutes this morning. Uh, before that, though, we have uh, Joe Moorkirk. He's going to share a little bit of an announcement with us today about the ministry he is leading and starting. Uh, well, not really starting, but con continuing to carry the ball forward. We'll put it that way. Uh, if you don't know Joe and Stephanie Moorkirk, they've been a part of our church here for a while. They're a wonderful part of our church. He is a good-looking man because of the hairstyle that he has, so we can appreciate appreciate that about him here today. That's right. Yes, this is a great look. Okay, just so you know. Um, today he is going to share about a fellowship of Christian athletes. Joe has been a teacher and a coach and a counselor here for many years in the school district. Uh, well, many years of a career, been here the past 10 years, and he has now uh, left the school district, left the retirement, uh, retired from that, and now he is going to become the director or, uh, I don't know if the director is the right term. Representative, area representative. Northeast Wyoming uh, for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So we want to hear from him, uh, give him, let him have a chance to share a little bit of an announcement about that ministry. We want to be praying for them. And, and if God is moving on your heart to support this ministry, I want to highly encourage you to consider doing so uh, because this is all a ministry. It needs to be funded by uh, people who are willing to give and support this ministry. But it's a very fruitful so please consider that. All right, we'll let Joe go ahead and uh, share with us this morning. Thanks, Aaron. Good morning. It's good to see you. I, we're first service. Uh, my family and I usually 
attend the first service. So it's it's good to be here and get to hear Aaron a second time and hear that great worship music a second time. Uh, like Aaron said, I'm here to to share with you the ministry of Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It's a it's an international, national, state, and local ministry to athletes and coaches. And a little bit about myself and my family. I've been married to my wife, Stephanie, for 32 years. We have four four kids. They're out of the house. Uh, we have four daughter-in-laws and four grandkids. So uh, we're just really blessed with our kids. Uh, two of them were involved in, in uh, FCA in high school as student leaders. And uh, they went on to work at uh, FCA sports camps as huddle leaders and campers. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show, we got a short presentation, short video uh, that I want to show, uh, give you a little more insight into FCA. Take a look. Coaches and athletes have influence and the never-changing message within the Fellowship of Christian Athletes is the gospel of Jesus Christ, his love for humanity, and our responsibility to let others know about him. FCA is experiencing growth like we've never seen before. The influence that you're having on these kids and these athletes and coaches. And they're going to affect the community for generations. We're going to the ball fields. We're going to the courts. And that's what's so powerful about the FCA. We go to where the coaches and athletes are. And now more than ever, we desire fellowship. Because we are not designed to walk this life alone. It's about the impact you have on others' lives. But the influence, the ripple effect, it carries generations and generations. Today, we're in over a hundred countries with leaders around the world to bring life change. So now through FCA sports, coaches and athletes want to compete as FCA, competing in kindergarten all the way through their professional career. And whether you're an athlete, whether you're a coach, whether you're a fan, we are mobilizing volunteers and we are here to teach you, to train you and grow the body of Christ. But for them to effectively do what they do, they need the resources. So we create Bibles, resources, and training for coaches and athletes to become empowered leaders who move the mission forward. The team is growing to reach coaches and athletes transformed by Jesus Christ. No matter where they come from, no matter what they look like, uh, no matter what their background is, they're here with the sole purpose to lead every coach and athlete into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. And every means every. Every coach. Every athlete. Every sport. Every country. The gospel is bearing fruit and spreading throughout the whole world. And we're just scratching the surface. We're called as disciples of Christ to make disciples. So that I can make disciples who are able to make other disciples. 
So now more than ever, as we look into the future, we see this desire, this passion, men and women, boys and girls, dedicated as a disciple to go make disciples. Since the very beginning, FCA has always been Jesus Christ, coaches and athletes. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So that gives you a little, a uh, little bit of insight into FCA. Uh, my passion for it uh, comes from uh, not from championships or or winning or uh, accolades, but but I it I like sports. I have a passion for sports is because it's what brought me to Jesus Christ as my Savior through the influence of a teammate, and so I have a passion to reach coaches and athletes with the gospel of Jesus Christ and for them lead them to a growing relationship with Jesus and Jesus and the church. So I want to ask you a question. Uh, when was the last time that God called you to do something? Just think, think maybe it was this morning, maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was a year ago. As he, has, as he called you to move, to change, to, to be stretched, to, uh, to change careers. That's what, that's what he's called me to do. Through my coaching and, and education background, after 37 years, I'm, I'm moving to this calling. So it took 40 years to get to where I'm at. And that's, that's how it happens. Called. So I'm answering that call to become the Northeast Area Representative for, for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. For Gillette, for the, for the four schools in Gillette, the college in Gillette, to Wright, Moorcroft, Upton, Sundance, Newcastle, and Hewlett. Every school, the vision is to lead every coach and every athlete into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's powerful. That's going to be powerful. Uh, my vision, my vision for this area is to provide a Bible, a coach's devotional Bible for every coach in every school for every team in northeastern Wyoming so that they will have a Bible in their hands. And also for them to have a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ given to them. And also for the athletes that they will coach, for the athletes to have an opportunity to go to a multi-sport huddle on a th at Thursday lunch or to go to a team huddle uh, for 15 minutes after their practice on Tuesday. Those are the, those are the activities that, that are out there for FCA. That's the vision for every coach to get this in their hand so that they can grow and be led to Jesus Christ. Because that's what changed my life. As much as success I had in athletics, that did not fill the void in my heart. And Jesus Christ did that 42 years ago. So I have a passion to reach these coaches and athletes. There, that happens in three ways. First of all, prayer. 
And I'll ask you, this is, this is my, our church, I'm asking you as a church to pray for FCA throughout northeastern Wyoming, that God would go before this ministry into all those schools, right? God's not out of the schools. He's not dead. He's in the schools. He's in the schools. He's in working in coaches. He's working in athletes. It's, it's happening. But I want it to happen more in each of these schools with each of these coaches. So prayer, pray for that. Please pray for that. Secondly, there's opportunity to volunteer at events, cook a meal, barbecue, hand out pizza. Maybe, maybe be a team chaplain or you'll meet with the, the, the golf team or the swim team or track team every Tuesday after practice and give them a 10-minute devotion. They're hungry for that. They're hungry for that. And then thirdly, this is my job. This is a ministry. This is what I'm going to do. So if you would take out your phone, I'm not trying to be a salesman, take out your phone and you can scan. If you're not sure how to do that, just take out your phone and, and put the, I had to be taught this, put the camera on that QR code and it will take you to a link. And you're going to be able to read about my vision, my journey for Northeastern Wyoming's FCA. It's, it's going, there's things happening already. Okay? But there needs to be more of a presence in these schools and an opportunity for these athletes and coaches to hear about Jesus Christ. That's what changes us. So on, th there's opportunity to, to give, to become part of the home team financially. We know it costs it, co we, it costs money to buy 34 pizzas. It costs money to me to drive to Newcastle and meet uh, Coach Consulman for breakfast or to take him out for lunch or to meet with the 10 or 12 student leaders, provide for them. These things cost money. So I'm asking if you're, you pray about it, you feel led, called, like I talked about earlier, called to give, Please do so. But first of all, give to your church. Give to church first. That's your first tithe. But if you're called, God's already out ahead of this. I, I, I'm, I believe that. I know that. But if you're called to pray, to volunteer, or to give financially to this ministry for Northeastern Wyoming, to go into every school, give a Bible to every coach, and share the gospel with every coach and athlete. Please, uh, please prayerfully consider that. I'm going to be out in the back <clears throat> in the lobby. If you have any questions, love to visit with you. Love to set up a time if you want to get together for coffee uh, and talk more about the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It's allowed in the schools. Okay. Not many ministries are allowed in the schools. Uh, and I just love, I love that aspect. And I love building relationships with principals and teachers and coaches 
and athletes about the ministry of FCA. So thanks so much for listening this morning, and uh, uh, I'm going to turn this over to Pastor Aaron. All right, I'm going to I'm going to ask uh, Joe to just come down here in the front, and then uh, uh, Pastor Grant, Pastor Stephen. I don't know if Chris is in here or not. Uh, how about John and uh, Chuck? Maybe come up and uh, just we want to pray for Joe. You know, reaching our young people is so urgently important that kids and youth are under attack in our society. So we need to be praying for them and praying for this ministry. So would you just please join me as I pray? Father, we pray for this ministry of Fellowship of Christian Athletes worldwide. We pray for it uh, domestically. We pray for it in the state of Wyoming and especially in our area here in Northeast Wyoming. I pray, Father, that you would help Joe to have direction and vision as he reaches out to these coaches, I pray that you would make inroads, Lord, into these schools where coaches would come to know you, students would come to know you, and that a fire would spread throughout this region where more and more would come to know you. Father, there's no greater urgency in life than knowing you and knowing where we're going when we die. And I pray, Father, that you would use this ministry to reach our young people today. Father, provide financially, provide volunteers, and provide uh, prayer partners, Lord, with this ministry. We thank you for what you're going to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, we have kind of had a mini three-week series that has been going on, and the reason behind wanting to do this, at least in my heart and mind, was just the tie-in for the Ten Commandments series we went through. As we went through the Ten Commandments series, you heard me say over and over again, it's all about the heart. It's not about the list of rules and regulations. It's not the laws. It's about the heart of humanity. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. God is concerned about the heart. He wants the heart changed. If the heart is changed, everything else in life will change. So I thought after that, why not talk a little bit about how the Holy Spirit works in our hearts? And that is in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 20, that we have been keying in on. I'm just spending three weeks looking at that. So today is the last of these messages dealing with that little section. But we're learning that it's all about the heart, and it's the work that God does in the heart of humanity that will change a life, it will change a culture, it will change a marriage, it will change a family. It's all when God gets a hold of the heart. We've seen so many examples of this. I've heard testimonies, as Joe was sharing today, about how uh, through, through athletics, he was led to the Lord, and that changed everything about his trajectory in life, about his family. Um, you've heard from like Pastor Grant, who, who I, I think, I don't know how many years ago it was now, maybe about 20 years ago, uh, that he just, and he can take you to the spot that he knelt down in uh, where he was at uh, in his work day, and he accepted the Lord at that moment and it changed everything about his life. When God gets a hold of the heart, it changes society. It changes a marriage. It changes a family. So what we've been looking at is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 20 on how God gets a hold of the heart of humanity. What I want to do this morning is just read through this and then uh, and recap some stuff as I read through it and then show you the final little components 
that God is showing us through the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of humanity. Let's start with Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 14 through 20. Here's what it says. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version for this series, these verses out of the ESV. It says this. Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Now, now remember what the reason was. Paul says, for this reason. The reason was for the grace of God. Because of God's grace, I bow my knees. Now, what is God's grace? That is God's kindness, his favor, his love, his mercy that was shown toward people who did not deserve it. It is God being kind and giving an opportunity for salvation to people who deserve to go to hell. Every one of us deserves separation from God. We deserve to hang on a cross. We deserve punishment because we have broken God's laws and broken God's commands. We deserve eternal separation from him, but he didn't leave us there. He came for us. He came to bring grace to us. And when you receive that kind of amazing grace, it changes everything. So Paul says, for the reason of grace, I bow my knees before the Father. What is bowing the knees before the Father? Well, bowing your knees is an attitude of worship. It's an attitude of, of praise. It's an attitude of surrender. You bow your knees, you're surrendering to the authority of whomever it is that you're bowing toward. And so he says, I bow my knees. I surrender my heart and my life to the Father who has given me grace. And this Father who I'm bowing my knees to it's him whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. It's all about God. He's the author and the creator and the perfecter of life. This author, creator, and perfecter of life, the king of kings and lord of lords, gave me grace. And as a result of me receiving grace, I want to get on my knees before him. He goes on to say this, that according to the riches of his glory, God's glory, God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So what is he saying in that? He's saying he wants to get to your heart. He wants to strengthen you from the inside out. He doesn't want to make you strong physically. He wants to, he wants to make you strong spiritually, internally, because if he can get a hold of your heart, everything else will clean up. You know, Jesus confronted the Pharisees in Matthew 23, and he confronted them like this. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. First, clean the inside so that the outside may become clean as well. So what is he saying? He's saying, I'm not worried about your outside performance, your outside appearance. I'm worried about your heart. If I can get a hold of your heart and we deal with those issues, everything else will take care of itself. He wants to strengthen your heart. But not only does he want to strengthen your heart, he wants to take ownership of your heart. And that's what it means that he will dwell in your hearts through faith. What does it mean to take ownership? Well, the word dwell means to take up permanent residence or permanent settlement. That he is the owner of the heart. So if you picture your heart being like a house, he starts at the door and knocks and he asks you to let him in. Once you let him in, he comes into your living room. There in the living room, he's a guest in your heart, and you have a relationship with him, but there's a certain point in time where he says, I don't want to just be a guest, I want to own it. Would you sign the deed over to me, sign the title over to me, and let me have it, and you can then live here. Well, that's exactly what happens when he strengthens us in our inner being through his spirit. 
and he dwells in our hearts through faith. Now, why does he dwell in our hearts through faith, or what is the result of that? Well, when that happens, he says that you will be rooted and grounded in love. And you'll have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Now, what does that mean? It means when he takes a hold and I have surrendered everything and he is the owner, I start to experience the love of God in a more profound way than I ever have before. You start to get overwhelmed with how much God loves you when you've truly surrendered everything to him. You start to understand the width and you start to understand the height and the length and the depth of the love that God has. It's an unknowable love, but it's one that you start to have at least a little bit better understanding of. And that happens when I'm finally surrendered to the Lord. I feel and experience the love of God in a brand new way. Not only that, though, I experience what he says next, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this is your time and we want to hear from you. Help this not to be my words or my thoughts, but help it to be your words and your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Your ways are so far above mine. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just use me as a vessel here today to communicate what you want to have communicated. Lord, I recognize that my words are inadequate, but your words are endued with power. And so, Father, speak powerfully to each one of us. There are some in here that just need to hear just a word from you today. Maybe it's a word of encouragement. Maybe it's a word of conviction. Maybe, Lord, it's just a word of comfort. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us however we need to hear from you. Again, this is your time. We are your people. We are surrendered to you. We are bowing to you today in worship and in reverence. So, Lord, may you be glorified and honored in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I told you last week about starting to take flight lessons, and it's an awesome thing. Uh, it is my wife, after 31 years of marriage, finally, I don't know why, I don't know what came over her, but she finally relented and said, yes, you can do flight lessons. After I have begged for years, said this was a dream that I had had, she finally said, fine, do whatever you want, which I took that as absolutely yes. She just said yes. She gave complete permission for me to do that. Started the flight lessons. I had an interesting flight lesson. You know what I have learned from these flight lessons is that I get a lot of great analogies from this, which means I am doing this for you. Really, that's what it means. So you're welcome. I'm doing this all for you because I have so many great analogies that come out of this. L let me tell you one that happened. I don't know how long ago, maybe just a few weeks ago, I was doing with my instructor a night flight. And it was a night flight, it was after 10 p.m., it was completely dark, and it was a, what was called a cross-country, so it was a longer trip. It was about maybe, I don't know, 150 miles round trip, maybe 200, something like that, but it was a longer flight. When we got on the plane, it was very windy out, and when we took off, this wind was affecting us, but the wind was at our backs. And so as we were flying, it was pushing us along. 
we were going, as we looked at the airspeed and ground speed, we were going about 150 miles per hour ground speed going the direction that we were going to the north. And it was awesome. It was just moving us along. It was going fast, and it was it was it was just it was flowing great, and it felt like we were just moving along. It was calm. It was not turbulent whatsoever because we were going in the direction of the wind. When we got where we needed to get, we turned around and we started coming back the other way. This time, though, we were going against the wind rather than going with the wind. As we were going against the wind, it was slow. It was, instead of going 150 miles per hour, we were going 50 miles per hour. Instead of it being smooth, it was violent. It was turbulent. It was rough. It was kind of scary, actually. And it was just tossing us everywhere. And we were bumping and dropping and, and lifting, and it was just turbulent because we were going against the direction of the wind. When we went with the wind, it was smooth, it was fast, it was wonderful. When we went against the wind, it was turbulent, it was violent, it was kind of scary. In the Hebrew language, the word for wind is the word ruach. The word ruach is not only used for wind, it is also in the Hebrew language used for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is considered to be the holy wind of God in Hebrew thinking, which is why in Hebrew it is always used as the ruach. When you are going with the Spirit of God, in the direction that the wind of the Spirit is moving, life is fast, life is calm, life is not chaotic, life is peaceful, life is smooth. When you are going against the direction of the wind of the Spirit, life is chaotic, life is slow, life is turbulent, life is kind of scary. Paul says it this way, in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, he says this, But I say to you, walk by the ruach, the wind, the holy wind of God, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the ruach, but the ruach sets its desire against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you cannot do what you want See, when you walk against the Spirit of God, when you're walking in the flesh, God is set up in opposition to you. When you are walking against the wind, flying against the wind, driving against the wind, there is drag. But when you are going in the direction that the Spirit of God is going, when you're driving with the wind, when you're, when you're flying with the wind, when you're walking with the wind, there's reduced drag and life becomes so much easier. So here's the challenge to you today. Are you walking with the Spirit of God or are you walking against the Spirit of God? You know why there's so many marital struggles? Because you have two people that are walking against the Spirit of God, walking against the wind, and they're struggling in trying to figure out how do we do this? You know when you have two people that turn around and walk in the direction that God is blowing, how much easier life becomes? Are you walking with the Spirit, or are you walking against the Spirit? Where does it all start? It starts when he works in my heart. 
When I accept him into my life, I become born again. He comes into my heart. He stands at the door of my heart and knocks. And when I open the door and say, come into my life, I begin a relationship with him. Not a religion. I begin a relationship with him. Then he goes to work on my heart. And he changes who I am from the inside out. I surrender my heart to him. I say, God, it's all yours. And then he starts showing me his love. And when I start to experience that love, I start to find myself walking with the wind of God. Well, today, we're going to finish out this little mini-series with two more things, infinite fullness and internal power. Let's look first at what Paul says of infinite fullness. Now, all of these are sequential. They are all in sequence. He first strengthens my heart, then he dwells in my heart, then he shows me his love, then I experience infinite fullness. What does it mean to have infinite fullness? Well, let's read what Paul says. He says it this way again, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all of the fullness of God. I want you to look at some of these words with me. Let's start with this word. He says that you may be filled, that you may be filled. Now, the opposite of filled is being empty. When you're empty, you're looking to be filled. That's the opposite idea. It necessitates that there is something empty in life if I'm needing to be filled. Do you know that every person is empty? Every person born is an empty vessel. Every person born is looking for something that's going to fill them up. We're looking for that kind of fullness. And we look all over the place to try to find it. The word filled in the Greek language just means this. It means to make full, to fill to the full, and to be complete. Without Christ, we are empty, but we are striving to be full. So what happens? Well, we are looking for things that could possibly fill us up. Picture it this way. You have a heart, and your heart is empty. In that empty heart, you're looking for something that will help me not feel empty anymore. And so what do we look at? Well, let me give you some examples of things that we look at. That's, this is not an all-inclusive list, but it's a pretty complete list. Here's some of the things that we look at in order to try to fill ourselves up when we feel empty. Some of us look to money. And we think, you know what? If I have enough money, if I can get enough money, accumulate, uh, accumulate enough money, then I will feel full. Why know people that have had a lot of success? I know some people that have made a tremendous amount of money. And I know that those who have made a tremendous amount of money who don't know the Lord feel just as empty as they ever have because they realize that money just doesn't do it. Money just does not fill me up. You've heard the saying, mo money, mo problems. And that's what happens. It doesn't fill me. It doesn't meet the core need that I have. So what else could I look at? Well, we may look at possessions. We may think, you know, if I could just have enough possessions, if I can have a better house, a new house, another house, a vacation house, if I could have new furniture, new carpet, if I could have something great, new electronics, if I could just find new possessions, new cars, that'll make me feel not so empty. 
it'll meet the fullness need that I have. And you realize that all of the stuff just doesn't do it. In fact, I have to stress about the stuff and I have to try to manage the stuff. And now that I'm overwhelmed by the stuff, and maybe you've come to that point in life, you think, I just am sick of the stuff. Because the stuff does not meet the need that I have to be filled. So maybe you think, well, I'll look at relationships. You know, if I could find just the right guy, the right girl, then I'll be happy. And then I'll feel full. And so you get into a relationship and you realize that one doesn't do it. So you get into a different relationship. Maybe you get married, you realize that one didn't do it. I'm going to get divorced so I can find somebody else. And it just never meets the need that I have. Some think, well, I know, here's the answer. I'm going to have kids, and I know kids are going to make me feel full because kids always do that, you know, these kids, and that's the biggest mistake you could ever think of. Kids are not there to fill you up. They're empty vessels themselves. They're there to be shaped, not to shape you. So some try to live vicariously through their kids and think I'm going to, I'm going to feed off of their success. Some people look at popularity and fame. Some are just filled with pride. Some look at religion. I'm going to be religious. That'll help me. But it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. And you realize, oh, that doesn't do it. Some look at sexual relationships and conquests. Some look at alcohol and drugs. Others look at education. Some look at the careers that they do. And all the while, what they start to recognize is none of these things work. I'm not happy. I feel empty and I've accomplished all of these things and I feel empty. And you realize that all of those things do not have the power to fill up the emptiness within me. Do you know that's what happens a lot of times that you'll see this in marriages. You'll have one person marry another. Both people are empty, but they get married thinking that the other will meet my needs. And when they don't meet my needs, when they fail to meet my needs, then I'm upset because they have failed to meet the needs that I have. The problem is it's not their job to fill your needs. Where does that fullness come from? Well, Paul tells us. You know the love of Christ surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with what? Stuff, money, things, possessions, career? No, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. This is the thing that we need the greatest. We are empty. And the only thing that will ever fix the emptiness is the fullness of God. Where does the fullness of God come from? It comes from a heart that has been touched by him, changed by him, where I have surrendered that to him. I start to know the love that he has, and I have the fullness that he promises that I will get. The word fullness, by the way, means completeness, abundance. It was used often of a ship that was filled with freight and merchandise and crew. A full ship. That's the same kind of fullness. I often think of, think of the idea of a sponge, just picture a kitchen sponge in your mind, a sponge that is, it is dry, it's rough, it's hard, it is, it is lifeless, and you put that sponge in water, and it just absorbs the water, and you pull that sponge out of the water, and it is so full, and it is so saturated that it's just dripping out. It can't even contain it anymore because it is so full. That's what the idea of fullness is. And the picture of what fullness would look like would be something like this. I am 
full of God and it just oozes out of me. That's where we want to be. That's a good marriage, by the way. If you have two people who aren't looking at each other to meet their needs, but instead they're looking at God to provide fullness, and now you put those two people together that are full, that's a good marriage. Because you have two people who are not takers, but givers. Not needing to be served, but wanting to serve. Not empty, but complete. That's a good marriage. When you have two people filled with the fullness of God who now are put together and start to love each other. I would encourage you, if, that's, if you're married, that that's the picture that you want. And that will provide more joy and happiness than you will ever know possible. That's a good, by the way, that's a good employee. One like that. Who's not just so needy, but is willing to serve and give because they are full. That's a great, that's, that's a great person. It's a great child to have that are filled with the fullness of God and just it oozes out of them. Paul wants to encourage us to experience the infinite fullness that God can give. So where does it come? It's the sequence of events. My heart is surrendered. I surrender my heart to him completely. He strengthens my heart. I surrender it all. I experience that love and I experience that fullness and it just naturally flows together when he works on my heart. What else? Well, here's the final end result of all of those things and that is we start to experience an internal power. I start to have a power within me to be able to live life, to do life, to face anything that comes my way. Here's what Paul says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The power of God that is unleashed when I am understanding how he strengthens me. When I surrender it to him, when I'm loved by him and I understand his love, when I experience the fullness, now I have the power of God to go through life. Do you know that we need that power of God? The power to choose life, to choose joy, to choose gratitude, to choose contentment. The power to have a marriage, the power to go to work every day. We need that. I've talked with several people in here, and I know that some of you have jobs that are stressful. Others have jobs that you just don't like at all. You deal with people at work that are just hard to deal with. I mean, that's my particular case. I am dealing with coworkers that are so hard to deal with. That's not true at all. I've got, I, I, I'm kind of spoiled, though, that way. But you have maybe a hard situation. How am I going to get through this? It is the power of God in me that helps me to go through whatever it is that I need to go through. The word power, I want you to notice this. In the Greek word, it looks like dynamis, but it's pronounced dunamis. And it means strength, ability, power, inherent power residing within a person. Now, you could probably see the root word in the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. The dynamic dynamite power of God is in you to go through life. 
that's an amazing concept. That I have within me this dynamic power of God to face, to do, to accomplish, to conquer, to handle anything that life throws at me. You have that same power at work within you. This dynamic power of God to go through whatever comes your way. You have the dynamic power of God in your marriage. You have the dynamic power of God as you go to work tomorrow. You have the dynamic power of God as you parent your kids. You have the dynamic power of God as you face the health diagnosis you've received. You have the dynamic power of God to face the hardships that are coming our way. All of it is available as God takes control of my heart. So let's wrap this up. What is all of this about? It's all about the heart. It's always been about the heart. God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. God wants to get a hold of your heart. In Ezekiel, he had promised he will give them a new heart. He'll remove the heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh. He will write his word upon our hearts. God wants to get a hold of the heart of humanity. When will society change? It's when the heart changes. Society will never change without a changed heart. We can come to the point of saying, God, I want you to change my heart. There's two steps. Step number one, you've got to be born again. Being born again means Jesus has come into my life. I've become new. I have been saved. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. It's where Jesus comes to the door of your heart and he knocks. And you've heard it. You heard him knocking. In fact, maybe you hear it today. He is standing at the door of your heart and he is just knocking on the door. And he's saying, will you let me in? You have a choice. You could go open the door and say, come in, or you could pretend like you're not there and you could just say to him, go away. To be born again, you've got to open the door and say, Jesus, come into my life. Please, I know I don't deserve it. My house is decrepit. It's a mess. It's falling apart. I don't deserve you coming here, but please, Jesus, come into my heart, come into the house, and forgive me of my sins. When you do that, you become born again, and he becomes a part of your life, living in your life. That's step number one. If you have not been born again, you need to be born again. This is nothing to do with the church. It's nothing to do with me. This is between you and God alone. And you need to do business with him. If you've been born again, then step number two is this. It's to be sanctified or surrendered to him. And what is sanctified or surrendered? That means I have signed my heart, the house, under his authority and ownership. I've signed it all over to you, God. It's yours. And when you make those decisions, you experience a love that is almost incomprehensible. You experience a fullness that you've always been longing. And you experience the power of God within you. So maybe today, whether it's being born again or maybe it's being sanctified and surrendered, today is the day that life changes for you. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray... For those in this room that need to be born again, they have never opened the door to you. In fact, maybe right now, they are hearing you 
knocking on the door of their hearts. They're hearing your knock. They're hearing your voice. And it's time for them to open the door. Lord, for those in this room that are ready to do that, maybe those that are watching, they're ready to do that. I pray, Father, that as they say, yes, Jesus, come into my life. Please forgive me of my sins that you would do so and that you would confirm in their hearts that now they are your children. They have now been born again, not through a religion, but through a relationship and a personal commitment to you. But there are far many others, Lord, today that now need to be sanctified, that need to do a work in their hearts because they have been calling the shots and running the show. And maybe today they're at the point of saying, Jesus, I want you to have the whole heart. I want you to have the whole house. I'm tired of messing it up. It's yours. As they say that to you by faith, Lord, I pray that you would take over and that they would start to now experience this love, this fullness, and this power that only you can provide. Father, thank you for doing business with us today. Thank you for loving us the way that you do, though we don't deserve it. Thank you for your amazing grace that was given to each one of us. Help us as we leave this place to go be the church in this community and to make a difference everywhere we go. Not for our sake, but for yours. It's all in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.